0: Hello, my name is Philip Miriton, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking. Exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves. Unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions, this is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now, here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Heaven at the End of Science,
1: Philip Meriton.
0: Now, in today's world, we hear a lot about evolution and development, but when we do these topics are usually applied to common traits for example in the theory of evolution we hear about how humans evolved from one cell bacterium over millions of years of natural selection or so that story goes we also know a lot about the concept of development in much more common areas we all know about physical development emotional development we know about the process of learning a musical instrument, perhaps going from banging on the keys to being a concert pianist, hitting a baseball, maturity. But this notion of development, or progressing through higher stages of mastery, is not typically applied to spiritual development. Many people think that we are born into religions and that's about that. And maybe someday we'll question that religion and move on to something else but we don't normally think about spiritual development progressing in stages now a lot of people however have looked at this notion of development and in fact applied it to spirituality and when they do we start seeing more clearly how to reconcile this current friction out there between what we could call the new atheists such as Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens authors of the books the God delusion and God is not great respectively and religion and spirituality so the title of today's show is faith beyond belief and my guest is Margaret Placentra Johnson the author of a new book entitled faith beyond belief stories of good people who left their church behind and now in this book, uh, she provides a story of real people who have made the transition between different stages of spiritual development, and I think their stories tell us a lot about what many of us are going through in our modern world. Welcome to the show, Margaret.
1: Thank you, Philip. Thank you for having me on.
0: Well, it's it's very it's it's great having you because I I don't think we've had anybody that that so practically has addressed this concept of spiritual development because in many ways it sounds like a real fancy intellectual process but you do something in your book that I think is very helpful which is bringing it down to earth by telling the stories of real people now you are an optometrist by trade and so I have to ask you what led you to write a book about religion
1: well, um, it my story is pretty much in the book, although the book is not at all about me, but um, I had gone through a typical upbringing with, I was brought up Catholic, uh, 12 years of Catholic school before I decided to actually go to the Catholic University of America for further religious training. I was taking this seriously, but... Um, the, the process led me to pretty much reason myself out of all belief and I wound up a very confident, happy, fulfilled basically an atheist. I didn't uh, go out and wag, wag, uh, wave flags too much but I was basically an atheist. Um, and then I ran across the work of M. Scott Peck who introduced me to the idea of these spiritual stages and I was so pleased with the first three stages he mentioned which had led People right to where I was right then having reasoned themselves out of literal religious belief and when I heard about his fourth stage I was kind of bowled over the fourth stage being people who would re uh, re re-approach religion um, for the sake of connection and community and um, try to connect to something larger than themselves I was just stunned (laughs) that this was a concept I didn't know um, that that was possible or even I didn't recognize anybody in my life that I had known who had moved to that type of a level. So over time I would just start reading more and more about this uh, spiritual development and I was shocked. To find that there are lots of people who have written about this, these stages in different ways and using different terminology and from different fields, and they have different numbers of stages, but they're kind of all leading towards this unitive worldview. The upper level is always about this connection, community, spiritual, uh, you know, a, a universal or unitive worldview. And then I started noticing that um, people were. Um, not behaving in this world as though they knew this was the case. And that's how I wound up writing the book. I was trying to bring it down to a more practical level, as you said.
0: Yeah, well, it's it's nice to know two things. Number one, that if you're in this process of questioning your beliefs, and that's in, in, in many ways, that's really what we're talking about. It begins with questioning your beliefs, that there's other people doing it, sharing the same experiences i think that's really important to know that that you're not alone in this raft out there in the ocean being the only one that's having these questions but then i think what further uh, underscores the importance of this is to realize that perhaps spiritual development is something natural and that that i think is really an important facet of this that when i when i talked earlier about you know physical development it's or emotional development it's something that we all view as being natural somebody mm-hmm. grows up they physically develop mm-hmm. and d- do you think spiritual development from your research is something that is natural that it occurs as a process of of generations over time i do i
1: do think it's a natural process but unfortunately the way our society um, leads people it leads people into a direction of spiritual immaturity so that this natural process is thwarted or at least it is not helped along by our conventional society so people don't bring up their children to think independently and they don't you know in, in church people are not led to the questions they're led to dogma and doctrine and you must accept this outer authority so as long as that's the case people are being kept spiritual children and we as a society cannot mature so I'm trying to just make the point that we need to approach things differently if we ever want to see a mature society
0: the big contrast as we know between science and religion if you if you read any book on science where they're critiquing religion it's the ability to question and uh, that's the big complaint that the scientific community has against religion and that is that there is dogma it's unquestioned it, it's accepted as a matter of, of belief it doesn't have any logical or evidentiary support to it and some would say any scientific support but this this has always troubled me because I, I have the the viewpoint that if any belief is true that it should stand up to questioning and it's sort of odd i think that in the 21st century we're wondering whether this could happen when i think the enlightenment which is about 200 years ago or so one of the big things about the original enlightenment was the ability for humans to think for themselves so it's funny that that uh, we we are now sort of facing this directly where we're, where we're actually putting this question front and center. Is, is religion true? Are these precepts true? And frankly, I think, Margaret, that is one thing that the Richard Dawkins of the world have, have done, have done uh, that's a benefit for us, that they have sort of put these beliefs in, uh, right on the, on, the, on the operating table and, sh- and shown the, the complete light of critical examination upon them.
1: Yes, clearly. Um, they did, a, I believe, a great service in the, the things they pointed out about the reliance on science and individual questioning. But as I mentioned in my book, I think they missed a step. Um, they didn't take it quite far enough because when you get to these um, further levels of reasoning processes, you, you come to realize that okay, the science as we know it in today's world may not be the the last word, there may be a little more to science than what you can get through the scientific method. So um, I sort of leave the the Dawkins and the Hitchens and and the Sam Harris's of the world in a a level where yes they have brought us forward but we have to go farther than their logic took us.
0: Yes, and I think that that's one thing that really is good about this stage approach and I think it might help now to To summarize what these stages are, because one of the things mm-hmm. you do, I think that's very helpful is that you simplify them uh, you know I yes. think that that other people have many more stages and mm-hmm. and for those who are are wondering about this, i mean, I think just listening to Margaret go through these stages will will resonate with most people. I know they resonated with me. So so let's, let's talk about the first one. I think it's called lawlessness. Is that the first stage? Lawless or something? Right, right.
1: I, I called it lawless. Um, actually, I feel many people have laid out the stages in chronological order. I thought our current society would be more able to understand them, taking them in the order in which I did in my book. So I actually started in the movement from the second to the third stage. So the second stage is faithful, which is basically, I call it faithful. It's just basically uh, traditional religion, you know, conventional accepting the word of the religious authority, be that the Bible or the Quran or whatever, or be it you're just your local pastor or minister. But the person at that level doesn't take it with inside themselves to literally work things through um, in a rational manner. They don't trust their own reasoning capacity. Um, so they're just, one of the theorists used the word, um, at the faithful level, beliefs and values are deeply felt, but tacitly held. And I think the tacitly held part is very important. They are not actually consciously uh, owning their beliefs. So that's the faithful level.
0: Yeah, and I think it's important, and let me stop there for one minute, mm-hmm. and I think the faithful and the faithful level is the big yeah. one most mm-hmm. people in uh, who uh, practice orthodox religion i would put them into the faithful category they're reciting prayers they're praying to statutes they're reciting the rosaries they're listening to uh, somebody interpret the words of the bible for them and they're thinking in terms of pictures of symbols and I think that that, and I, so I think this is important. This is not just an esoteric concept. This this is the big one, I think. This is the, real. The faithful. This is real. So yes, I, so it is, but
1: to... also your, your use of the word symbol is interesting. I think at the faithful level, these people take their symbols literally. Okay. So they don't recognize them as symbol. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so, so, okay, um, so go ahead. The, okay, so the second, the next stage, the, the people in the book, the first four stories are people moving from the faithful level to the next level, which is, I call it, the rational level. Um, these are people who some, some, con- some uh, piece of doctrine was starting to bother them from their religion, and they come from all different religions, but there was something about the religion that bothered them intellectually, and they started reasoning it through, and they went through a, you know, a tug of war. I should stay with my group and believe what they believe, or no, I can't ignore what my mind is telling me. And all four of these people in these first four stories, they all moved away from, their they finally got the guts to say, okay, I don't care what my group is telling me, I have to go with my own uh, authority. And all four of them reason themselves out of the literal level of belief. So that's like the questioning stage. I feel this is similar to where the Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris and Christopher Hitchens of the world have left us, is it's this rational stage. We believe in our own... In personal integrity, we are ruled by conscience, and we believe in our own reasoning skills.
0: Yes, and I I think that this is a very important observation, which is that the Richard Dawkins of the world, and he's more of a symbol, although his book, The God Delusion, is probably the most forceful argument against Orthodox religion, but it really is a rational stage attacking a faithful stage.
1: Yes, precisely. And that's, um, I I mean, I think, not to say that's a good thing to do, but it's a step that if we want to mature as a society, we have got to do this. Um, Not to say that religions are bad, but we have got to get away from this outer authority coming from somewhere else other than the person. Um, uh, because their form of integrity is not quite as mm, real as someone at the rational stage <laughs> yes. and that's a little hard to explain
0: yeah it's almost like a unfair um uh competition w- mm-hmm. w- in many ways because because the the rational folks or the richard dawkins folks are not really speaking the same language as the faithful folks they're 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 coming at The question from two different stages this is Philip Merton this is conversations beyond science and religion we're speaking with Margaret Placentra Johnson the author of the new book faith beyond belief stories of good people who left their church behind and we're talking about the four stages of spiritual development that she discusses in her book And, Margaret, after the rational stage comes something very interesting, right? It is
1: very interesting, but I do want to, before I talk about that stage, again, I do this in a rather um, counterintuitive way, but to me it seems more natural. Um, The reason that the faithful level kind of rejects this rational level is because they don't understand it and they're afraid that if they don't hold to the beliefs they have, that they're going to fall back into the first level, which is the lawless. Okay. And that's what you mentioned originally. That's a good point. So the the stages, the most original, well, the um, least mature, shall we say, stage is the lawless level. This is something that most healthy people go through, apparently, as children, and they grow out of it by the time they're an adult but you have some people where their development was restricted and they remain lawless throughout their lives and they are um, self-centered they're they're entirely driven by their own ego they are um, not uh, adequately controlled without the rules of society without the rules of religion they have no inner conscience so to speak tend to be manipulative so the faithful level person kind of remembers being a lawless and is afraid of falling back into that. So that's why they hold to their religion so tightly. Kind of, it's, you know, like the born-again experience. You have right. someone who, who their whole life was chaotic and suddenly they found the Lord and their life is wonderful. Well, that's a good step to take because you don't want to be in that lawless stage. You're better off in faithful.
0: Yes, and there's nothing wrong. I mean, you're exactly right. I think that's, that's a, a really, a, another really good observation is that the faithful stage... Is a whole lot better than the lawless phase. It's right. it's it's better to have that uh, support of orthodox religion, the moral underpinnings, mm-hmm. the deep spiritual tradition, the sense of family than having nothing. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's nothing. It's not as if it's evil. It's it's just right. that there's these stages that one goes through uh, right. that maybe starts questioning whether the stage you're in is the final thing.
1: Right. And the other thing is that most of society, because they're not too articulate about spiritual development, they don't understand it, if they're in the faithful level, they equate all non-believers with the lawless stage, which is not true. There's the lawless, and then there's the rational, who tend to be non-believers too. So there's all this um, strife between them because the faithful think they've got to... Convert everyone to their belief system, lest they fall back, lest everyone fall back into the chaotic, lawless stage. But that's not true. Uh, they don't recognize that some people have moved ahead to this rational stage. And then that brings us to mention the final stage, which is very, you're right, it's very interesting. It's also very, very hard to articulate or have someone understand, and I'm quite sure that I personally don't understand it as well as I should. <laughs> I've been trying for many years. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the point is that the um, what I call the mystic stage, um, which is the fourth stage, so we have lawless is, origin- is the first stage, and then faithful, and then rational, and then mystic. So whether you like my use of the term mystic or not, um, a mystic is someone who approaches spirituality from a unitive world view so they may go to church and they may say the same prayers as the person in the faithful stage but they're saying it all in a different way they um, approach their spirituality in a a metaphorical way so their symbol is just a symbol when they say the word God they don't particularly mean the guy in the sky with the beard and making judgments they mean something like our ultimate reality or the thing that connects us all or, or they mean the universe so it's very hard. Just as society doesn't know how to distinguish between the lawless and the rational stage, most of society also doesn't know how to distinguish between the faithful stage and the mystic stage. So this creates a tremendous amount of confusion, and that's kind of what I was trying to clarify.
0: Yeah, in I'm my not. Book. Yeah, I'm not so sure. I mean, I, I'm not so sure if the if the term mystic captures the whole thing. I mean, it's as mm-hmm. good as any other term, perhaps but i think what's important in our modern world is that if you're a rationalist and you are and you successfully undercut the belief system of modern religion if you're able to convince yourself that there's no way jesus christ could have risen from the grave or walked on water or moses could not have parted the red sea and or brought the ten commandments down if you convince yourself that's all a bunch of myth and and so and so now you're sitting there with this scientific sort of world view you face again mystery and this this is something that this show is about because we can we constantly have scientists on this show telling us about all the mysteries of existence and Mm -hmm. and so I, I like the way it was put in the book by both one of your um your contributors and also Fierce. by you the this concept of living in the question. I really like mm-hmm. that. I thought that was yeah. really good that you you realize that that science clearly doesn't it doesn't understand everything. And if you think that that Richard Dawkins does, read his books more closely. He doesn't understand everything. And and that leaves us with this mystery but then i think there's something else that's going on from many of the stories you tell that people are having experiences Mm -hmm. that are demonstrating to them the unity of consciousness or of spirit Mm -hmm. and so so it really is it really is to me a natural a natural development and perhaps you could tell you could talk about uh, one or two of of the people that wrote the stories to, that maybe illustrates this mystic step here.
1: Okay, so um, as I mentioned, the first four stories in the book were just people moving away from their religion. The next six stories were people who, you know, I don't want to judge anyone's actual stage, but the people in the next six stories in some way illustrate how a person might move from that rational stage to that mystic stage or whatever you want to call it, unitive stage or universal stage. So um, some of them were moved by uh, episodes of unitive consciousness. One of them, her name's Inez in the book. Uh, I sometimes get confused between the person's real name and their uh, and their and the, the name they use in the book. So Inez um, had left behind the Catholic Church and... She eventually joined a Unitarian church, and she went to um, some kind of a seminar, and she had a good experience there, and it was coming to a close, and they had all, um, I think they had all hold hands and chant Om or something. And at that point, she, she said to herself, or she heard the voice say, if, if this is, if if this is the way we can make people feel the way I've felt this this week, then I want to do this for the rest of my life. So here, she all of a sudden had this um, realization that she was to become a minister herself. <laughs> so I mean, that's just one of yeah. the examples, non-literal way. The the one of the
0: things that really comes across, I think, here is when you talk about people in your book that go through these stages, whether it's from the faithful to the rational or the rational to the mystic what comes across to me is that people are being honest with themselves the we know that if you go through this stage from the faithful to the rational if you start questioning all the things the priest says or the tv evangelists say what's happening is that your rational brain is questioning these things and it's a natural movement. Many many folks are taught not to do that. They're raised not to question their opinion not to not to question what their parents have told them about God or religion. And it's one of those things where we are really trained and we're sort of doing it now which is we respect each other's beliefs. It's just something that it's, it's like an untouchable thing. Now, I said earlier that, that I think that's one thing that Richard Dawkins and those folks have done a service where they expose that, because I personally think we need to really inquire about beliefs. We need to take off this untouchableness. But with regard to the mystic stage, it starts sounding to me like moving, moving into the Eastern religious realm. Where the Eastern well, religions are more are more self-focused, I- inward-focused.
1: Inward well, that's an in interesting way to look at it. I do believe that there is some correlation, and I believe that I haven't studied the Eastern religions to any great deal. But I do feel that they um, help support people moving forward towards a more unitive worldview, whereas our Western religions tend to... Try to hold people back. So the word is, you know, only our group is right. Um, our God is for us, and you know, everyone else is not saved like we are. Well, that's got to be such an immature re- approach. Whether you, whether you're from Eastern religion or a Western religion, and I think what's important to recognize is people at that, what I call mystic level, tend to. It's not so much about belief. That's kind of what the um, book title was referring to, the beliefs become uh, almost unimportant and the reason for participating in a spiritual or religious community becomes to contribute to the community, to connect with something larger than ourselves, um, something other than it's not belief-based. and It's more to maybe develop our, our um, traits, goodness traits of humility, gratitude, forgiveness, you know, all those things. So I just think that is a more mature way to approach it than to say my religion is true and that's well, why I go to church.
0: Well, when you think about it, it's, it's a lot less controversial in one way to be a Hindu or a Buddhist than to be um, a Muslim or a Christian mm-hmm. in the sense that in, under Hinduism, you know, Atman, the self, is a part of the whole or a part mm-hmm. of God Brahman and the idea is is to escape from the material physical world inward and realize the unity Mm -hmm. of the soul with everything and Mm -hmm. so there's enough there for everybody there isn't really a lot to argue about Mm -hmm. because even though hindus have their symbolic gods from a spiritual level everything is Brahman. and i think it's 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 very interesting that in some ways, the spiritual development of the Western mind starts leading to the Eastern mind, which, which is, I think, actually a good thing because if it's shared among cultures, there might be some truth to it. So, so so that that is really i think that's that's a that's a, and it's happening out there we see mm-hmm. it all the time more and more people are taking yoga they're meditating they're mm-hmm. dabbling in in uh, eastern spirituality you know it's it's undergoing its own its own uh, evolution in the mm-hmm. modern world but it's happening more and more where we're seeing sort of cross cultural kind of of belief systems or spirituality.
1: Right, Philip, Um, and a good point to, this is a good point to bring up something I think is important. When we had a more insular society, when you lived in a community your entire life and had no access to communications from all over the world, um, it was reasonable to assume that your world was your own church, your own religion, your own community, and that was a reasonable thing to do. So these insular belief systems were supported by the view of the world that a person got but now with our global communications with the internet with people moving and most likely you have neighbors who you know practice a different religion and and you might even have someone marry into your family from a different religion it becomes very very provincial to say only only my religion is right i mean you, you start to have a larger view that there's truth in this and there's truth in that and you know yoga is not something to be feared but if you want to try it you know go for it type of thing whereas you know we cannot restrict these um, authoritarian provincial religious viewpoints uh, in in our global society
0: yes yes i think that's i think that's a really good point because there if any religion is true it's got to be broad enough to encompass everybody because, mm-hmm. because it cannot be, you cannot have, it doesn't make any sense to have a one God play favorites. And that's one of the big controversies, obviously, and a lot of people have been down that road. But I think that understanding other people's spiritual development, understanding these stages is a really good step forward to cross Cultural understanding. This is Philip Merton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're speaking with Margaret <coughs> Placentra Johnson, the author of the new book, Faith Beyond Belief Stories of Good People Who Left Their Church Behind, and we're talking about the stages of development from a spiritual perspective. Now, you have something to say in your book, not only about new atheists, but about new agers. And first of all, with regard to atheism, how do you define it, atheism?
1: Well, I would define it as someone who has rejected a view of God that, as the traditional being that the traditional religions hold. Okay.
0: Yes, yes, because I think that that's one of the, one of the, the other concepts we need to get over. I had a profess atheist on the show earlier this year this year, Dr. Richard Rose. And I asked him the question, which was something like, as an atheist, does that mean you also don't believe in the perennial philosophy mm-hmm. being that underlying existence is, is one spirit, one consciousness, one mind? He said, "Well, I wasn't, I, you know." He said, "Well, I, he he really wasn't ready to go that far," and and so and so it really is. It's important because many Eastern religions do reject the God in the sky, but they're anything but atheists in the mm-hmm. sense that they do believe in a in a God underlying nature, the world, the universe, and so I think that's something else that's important. Now, New Agers, you don't have a lot of good thing to say about the New Agers, but. Uh, and maybe I misread that, but how are the New Agers, uh, how how can they be compared to this mystic level? Or what do you think is, is the problem with the New Age movement, if anything?
1: Well, again, I I may look at things from a slanted, distorted view, but it seems to me that almost all of our problems in our uh, Western society are caused by the fact that people don't understand the stages so yeah. new ages could be anything from this mystic level person to a lawless level person yeah. um, the point is it's not articulated that the most authentic way to, to take on this unit of new world worldview is to go through the stages start with lawless as a child and you know a, a approach and uh, and accept some form of um, religion or something internally um, and then reject it somewhat at at the belief level and then reappropriate some form of spirituality at the mystic level. If you're joining new age society just because your friends are doing it or because it sounds really cool to be dealing with crystals or, you know, whatever, you don't have the depth as some, the same depth as someone who has gone through the stages and is practicing a unitive spirituality through the most um, mature level. So I think in the early, I, I wasn't too tied into new age things in the 70s or even the 80s, but I feel like in those days there was an awful lot of superficial and counterfeit spiritual notions going along. But now, um, maybe because I'm better able to understand it or maybe because it has matured, it seems to me that an awful lot of people coming to us from this, call it new age, new thought, new whatever you want to call it, new spirituality, there is a a, a significant number of them who do have the depth and they do have the, the maturity. And this just doesn't sound that way because they're still, you know, doing things that sound kind of hokey to a conventional person.
0: Yeah, it's so hard to sort of... Uh, critique or talk intelligently about any group of people when you use such ambiguous titles like new agers or even new Mm -hmm. atheists or any Mm -hmm. any category is going to be a distortion because Mm -hmm. i still don't know what new age means Uh, (laughs) yeah i don't either (laughs) sometimes i like it and sometimes i don't Right. but it, but but no one's thought of really of a better term maybe new thought like you say new thought new spirituality but yeah. it, it, but if nothing else the new age movement shows sort of a desire for something more something bigger mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. beyond traditional beliefs traditional interpretations of science and religion and so so there is something good there but I want to throw in my two cents on that it's, and you alluded to it and that is people forget that that there is a depth and you you point out there's a depth to existence to being here And we read I mean I like you know these people that read these manuals on computer software programs, these hundred page, 200-page uh, manuals on computer software programs or read an instruction program on how to work a drill press or something. And and it takes a lot of thinking. Or just imagine what it would take to, f- to fly an airplane or a jet mm-hmm. or the Large Hadron Collider. Well, existence, folks, is is pretty difficult. It's pretty deep itself. And so you sort of have to get into it. Now, I don't think it's as difficult as reading a software manual by the way because I think it's a lot more interesting but but it really is not a superficial thing. So once in your life I like to say take time out and read some of the great books and and I and that's that's my two cents on on that. Now with regard to these stages, the natural question is is there a stage beyond the mystic level, do you think?
1: Uh, I'm quite sure there is. But I'm also quite sure that in my lifetime, I don't think I will (laughs) come to understand it. It could be that there are not enough people at that level for us to articulate what it might be. Um, It took me um, many years of having read this stuff before I could recognize someone at that mystic level. And that might be my own limitation, my own personal limitations. But it took me a long time to be able to sort out someone might be have mystic characteristics as opposed to being a flat-out faithful level. Um, so if there are people floating around it, whatever comes after mystic, I surely um, am not prepared to recognize them. I, I do believe you have some people who have articulated those stages. Um, Ken Wilbur does speak of them. There's some of his turquoise and indigo and all these other stages. He uses color names. And then there's uh, Sri Aurobindo, who I have to admit I have not studied, but I believe that his stages take off, begin where we left off, or where I left off in my book.
0: Yeah, I think that one of the things <laughs> that I would say here, I mean, there's this quote from your book that that uh, I wrote down here, and it's it says, "The spirituality of the mystic is faith without the need for certainty," mm-hmm. and that that is what we talked about earlier. This this uh, notion of living in the question living in the mystery Uh, Mm -hmm. earlier this year parenthetically I had a guest on from the United Kingdom Timothy Freaky who has a number of books but one of them is called the wonder moment and his his theme is that we should be living in the wonder of existence and it's very similar to Mm -hmm. to living in the question living in the mystery but Mm -hmm. But I think a different stage, my own view is, I think a different stage would be that the mystic is confident. That Trust, the, mys- that the That the mystical standpoint is the correct one. In other words, that there is a, p- a mystery to existence we will never solve. And mm-hmm. therefore, I mean, it's very similar, but, but instead of just wandering <coughs> around saying, well, I don't, I don't know anything for certain, there's, there's some things that we will never know. And again, I just, uh, from the Upanishads, from the Reg Veda, there is this old uh, passage that I have in my own book. It's something like, you know, how did it all begin? Only the great one knows, uh, perhaps though he doesn't know. And so so if God itself doesn't know, then we're always going to be in this mystery. And I think that's a beautiful you know, a sort of a beautiful idea myself. So, uh, let's let's talk a little bit about this this concept of peakers and non-peakers. Oh, because that's that's an <laughs> right. interesting, and that's that's another interesting uh, part of your discussion. Now, what is a peaker?
1: So, I took that from the work of Abraham Maslow. Right, and he described these peakers versus non-peakers and I thought it shed a little light, it gave us a little glimmer of more understanding to understand what he was talking about. He said that within religion you have people who have had peak religious experiences or peak spiritual experiences and they tend, uh, traditionally tend to be the people who uh, originally formed the religions, the Jesus or you know whomever but unfortunately or or maybe not unfortunately um, Maintaining those religious structures and those institutions falls into the hands of non peakers people who've not had um, spiritual experiences, or if they've had them, they have ignored them, rejected them, pretended they didn't happen. They're not welcoming uh, expansive experiences so these are practical nuts and bolts people who want to make sure the church budget is met and they want to make sure that their congregation maintains a certain number this would be important if you need to maintain the institution but they tend to be those faithful people who you know haven't reached the uh, mystic level and I think that the peakers, as Maslow described them are people who were or sort of approach that mystic level and so and a lot of times it is the reason the way they got there was based on these peak uh, religious experiences.
0: And so, who are some examples of peakers for those who are wondering what a peaker would be?
1: So, well, definitely Jesus. And um, I, I, I assume I haven't studied in that much detail, but I assume Muhammad and um, the Baha'i leader I, know, I can't pronounce his name, Bahola or something right. like that, but certainly people like that. Um, Who had experiences they tried to transmit them to the regular person and what happened was a religion formed around them and Was you know brought along by the non-peaker type?
0: Yes, yes, and I and just just to put my own gloss on that really what we're saying I think is that if the original if the original message is conveyed by somebody who had this deep insight such as a Gandhi, Jesus Christ, Mohammed, Moses Uh, then that's that's fine because we are conveying this message and you're supposed to learn from the message but then you have a bunch of folks who are more of the the ministerial or mechanical uh, Mm -hmm. standpoint who are repeating a message from a dogmatic standpoint as opposed to sharing the original experience and right. and that that I think is is really what happens in in our modern world with orthodox religion we we don't really have these messages or these insights being given by the folks standing at the pulpit and the good news though is that the works of these quote-unquote prophets or peakers are available and we have a lot of people who are looking for themselves in reading these works, whether it's the Upanishads, the Bahava Gita or the New Testament or whatever, who, who have direct access to these lessons. This is Philip Merton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're speaking with Margaret Placentra Johnson, the author of Faith Beyond Belief, Stories of Good People Who Left Their Church Behind and now we need to move to a question that we cannot ignore and that is what does this all say about god what what does it say whether god exists where where are we with these what do these stages tell us about that big question
1: so yeah i took that on a little bit in my book um I don't posit myself as any type of authority. But it seems to me that um, from a unitive point of view, when you start looking at the god of each different religion, it seems that they are all finding, they're all local, the way one particular local community found to express their need to connect with something larger than themselves or their need to understand the meaning of life. So they all form some type of a, a concept, which tends to be concretized into a being. Yes. But each religion has their own viewpoint of what that being is. But when you take it from a bird's eye view, if you move farther back, um, you, you can see that they're all trying to connect with something similar. So whether that being or whatever it is, uh, be it consciousness or or an actual being or be it just you know the ultimate concern, whatever you want to call it, all humans seem to share this or, or many humans seem to share this need and and when you look at it from that viewpoint that's what each religion is um, is uh, trying to connect with
0: yeah I think it was Freud who said that I mean it was Marx one of those two guys who said that if God didn't exist then man would have to invent him mm-hmm. and and that is probably the most skeptical standpoint that you could take on the concept because I think from the other perspective when you look at the the uh, the statistics something like ninety percent of people believe in some form of God and I think that the fascination with this concept to me and the shows it's true so show, shows that there's something to it and again whether you we approach this from the standpoint of the the stages of of development where you go through uh, traditional faithful religion in that stage you become rational you question it and then you get into the world of science and you realize that science doesn't have all the answers and you have a maybe a mystical experience and you realize hey there's something else going on here other than just particles in motion or whether you approach it from just the scientific standpoint where science itself cannot explain so many things, such as the fine tuning, the order in the universe, how something came from nothing. There's so many different questions they can't answer. It really drives to me towards this realization that this is that that, that there is something real here and that we're not just engaged in some kind of myth or some kind of story fairy tale. So I I do think that thinking through these stages is, is very, very helpful. But what, what does this mean for the future? Is there some kind of, assuming that this is a natural development, where do you think the stages leads?
1: Well, again, if we look back at this globalization and Internet issue, um, where before all you could see was your own community. So for a person to reach this mystic level took, An extremely extraordinary individual Um, when you realize that now more and more people getting more and more information from different sources different they study different religions they you know try all these different practices Um, and we have access to scientific information we didn't have before or you know the the new science type of things more and more these ideas are spreading and what are they doing but leading more and more less Talented individuals toward that mystic worldview. Um, so I think if I take a uh, optimistic point of view, that although our technology and all that does lead to a, a chaotic society, I also think it's helping people become less insular, less provincial, and therefore a little bit more unitive, and more in, likely to include the other into what they consider themselves a part of so they're gaining a more unitive world view more and more people are reaching that and call it mystic or call it unitive level
0: and there's beauty to that when you think about it the if there is a natural uh, evolution to a higher spiritual stage and I used the word higher I do think mm-hmm. it's a better stage and in this this development sort of drives towards this unitive consciousness then there's clearly room for everybody and I think that that bodes well for the future problem being who knows when that's going to be the okay. the, uh, the other way the other question that comes up is the relationship between spirituality and morality mm-hmm. and I I read that coming both ways from your book Is is there a relationship between a higher stage of spiritual development, particularly the mystic stage, and morality?
1: In a, in a tangential way, I believe so, but I um, couldn't say definitely and certainly there are, no no person is completely at one stage and, and you know, has left the others behind. I believe people kind of um, gravitate between stages and different in different situations they might be at a different stage. So it's not as black and white as you might hope. But one thing that's clear um, about, what's clear to me, <laughs> about this unitive or mystic level is that the person at the highest expression of that is super, their morality or their, um, their sense of consciousness, conscience, is, is much more expansive than the less developed area. So in the less, um, in the faithful level, let's call that the lesser developed area. Um, they are moral in that they follow the rules of the Ten Commandments or the Bible or whatever their priest tells them. But bringing them to a dilemma, um, they, they, they can't work beyond the dilemma. They can't see that there are gray areas. They can't, you know, judge one factor against another. It's all black and white. But moving forward, then, at this rational stage, people are a little more conscience-oriented, so they're not so dependent on the rules of their church. Or, in the Bible, and they, in that sense, they could be a little more moral and that they might see that maybe they should break a law for the sake of a, a human in need or whatever it might be. But then, at this mystic level, I think people take on a at the very highest expression, they take on a need to help the world in some way, and they will give of themselves um, to to contribute to society in some way. So that is, in a way, sort of a higher form of morality than just saying, "Okay, I'm going to follow the rules of the Bible and I want to be saved." It's not for yourself. Yes. At that higher level, it's for the good of humanity.
0: Yeah, it's like ingrained. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. a, it's 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 absorbed into your <laughs> into your way of acting. And I think that that is something that is very positive. And it's a function to me of the depth with which this lesson is learned. In other words as that stage of development the mystic stage or beyond the mystic stage if that is indeed ingrained and we do realize that we're part of a united whole and it's not just happy mm-hmm. talk mm-hmm. then it can't help but have a positive effect on how we treat each other and and that may lead to the question of what happens to churches in, in the, at, at this stage Well, will churches or and i'm using Church, as you do, as a generic name for places of places of worship, do you think there'll always be a place for churches, or do you think that over time they'll be more like museum pieces
1: well uh... I haven't. Um, don't consider myself an expert in how to run a church, yeah. but it seemed to me that if these churches would allow this progression of the spiritual development to happen instead of trying to stymie it, um, that they could be very vibrant communities and institutions where people come together to celebrate their human connections and celebrate and and, and come together to also to work together for the good of humanity instead of trying to convert everyone to their religion and trying to convince everyone that their religion is better, you know, if the churches would change their focus, they could become very vibrant and very, very surviving institutions. They All these churches have rich cultural traditions. Um, you know, certainly I come from Catholicism, which has tremendously rich um, rituals and rites, which need not be discarded as long as they can be reinterpreted at yeah. something other than the literal level. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the nat- you yeah, know the nice thing is is that some things just happen by force of nature, and we don't know what a world would look like if we have the critical mass of people in the mystic or beyond the mystic stage, where, where they turn away from the faithful or the traditional religious approach. We don't know what that kind of world will look like, but it, it's got to be better and where where churches might fit in is one of those interesting questions that we're going to have to see it mm-hmm. to really know what the answer is now we have quickly reached the end of this of of the show and I kind of thought this was going to happen so Margaret why don't you just uh maybe tell the listeners a little bit about uh where to find your book and anything else that, that you're up okay. to
1: sure um my book is Faith Beyond Belief, Stories of Good People Who Left Their Church Behind. And you can find it on Amazon uh, under Faith Beyond Belief. It's F-A-I-T-H, Faith Beyond Belief. Um, And also, my website has a good bit of information about the book. It's um, faithbeyondbelief-book.com. So you can find out an awful lot. You know, has the synopsis and, you know, the table of contents and whatnot is in there.
0: Yeah, and I think I think <laughs> that this that her book is really a good sort of preview on this whole notion of spiritual development. There's a lot of treatises that that go into it from a much more academic standpoint, such as those by Ken Wilbur, although he has several more readable books. But I think that those folks that want to see really the logic and the, and the rationale behind this concept of spiritual development and to show that this is a really good way to understand the different approaches to spirituality uh, might be good to pick up a copy of margaret's book now i just want the listeners to know that next next week we're going to be moving from a spiritual god to the god particle We're going to have uh, Alexander Unziger, a German author of the new book, The Higgs Fake. His previous book, Bankrupting Physics, was called the most controversial science book of the year by the German press. This is Philip Merton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thanks,
1: Margaret. Thank you, Philip.
0: You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion with Philip Merritton. To find out more about Philip and his new book, The Heaven at the End of Science, visit heavenattheendofscience.com.